Welcome. Glad to have you with us. It is Gary on Guns, and Powderhorn Guns and Archery is in. It's time for show and tell. We got the belt boy in, thesuperbelt.com. And uh, we're going to go over uh, some of the firearms. But I want to tell you that Dave Rowland is going to be with us. He is a uh, he's an attorney. He's on our program uh, every Thursday, Think Tank Thursday. He helped write the Second Amendment Preservation Act and uh, has gone to court. It, it, and by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, they did this over the interwebs. The, you were, nobody went in the courtroom. Oh, I don't really? know why, but it was all done uh, via the Internet. But anyway, the appeal um, was, I guess, on Friday. Uh, and, of course, because Dave was part of it, he had filed an appeal uh, along with the uh, Attorney General's office. He's going to give us his feedback at 930, 9.35. Uh, did I say 9.35? Yeah, that's huh. right. Uh, so that'll be at 9.35, Dave Rowland. In the meantime, show and tell on board with us this morning. Let's talk about this revolver that is... <laughs> This, this Takes up half the table. <laughs> don't worry. This little guy? Don't worry about this little guy. I mean, he, he, he's, he's just a little guy. Uh, yeah. it, it is a um, tribute to uh, Harden, John Wesley Harden, the uh, outlaw from back in the day. Who once uh, shot a guy for snoring. Sure. He I'm was so mean. I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah. Uh, exact replica of, of that gun. It's supposed to be pretty true to what he shot. Uh, it's 45 Colt is a blued steel finish on it. Case hardened is just a phenomenal piece. Top break, so it, it 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 is fun to shoot and quicker to reload than most normal revolvers because it ejects them as soon as you hit the top break on it. So it pops them all out. You know, you you and I were talking earlier uh, before the show about how uh, dropping the cylinder out and but you you know you. That really would be, if you had a yeah. speed loader on that. When it ejects, like, it shoots them all out for you. That's yeah. slick, man. That's really slick. I don't know how anybody would carry that and be fast on the draw. <laughs> yeah. I, it's beyond, it's like Did you say the rifle. barrel length? What's the barrel length on oh, it? God. Oh, gotta be eight inches. At least. At least. It's massive. <laughs> Just drawing that out of your whole Or in your house, a foot and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> I did not want to estimate this time. Cause yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's seven inches long, and the overall length of the gun is 12.8 inches. Good grief. It's so, massive. You'd walk with <laughs> a limp. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> and heavy. Yeah. Oh, man. So, but it's gorgeous. That's such a cool piece of history. It is. It, it's fun. I mean, I just I really enjoy looking at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, that's not an inexpensive gun, but it's pretty well made, and so I understand. Yeah. The crazy part is how hard they are for us to obtain. Uh, we are on a waiting list for these, and we order them in, in January, and we hope to get them by December, and it, they're just, they're very hard to, to get. Amazing. Is that brand new? Yeah, it's brand new. It, it, we've had this one hand on it, order. Hand it over here. Let me yeah. just. We've had this one on order for two years trying to get it. Good grief. Yeah. Well, it's it's made in Italy. It, it's not made on any machine that's going to sit there and just pump these out. Right. They are actual hand-built gun by one person all what, the way through. And what's the caliber? 45. They're 45. 45. That's what you said, 45 Colt, right? Yeah. So, I that's mean, they so are cool. just, that's number three second model top break. I mean, it, it, they are. I can just huge. imagine when this technology debuted, the guys going from the single load, 
you know, cowboy style to mm-hmm. this. Yeah. That had to have been like like a machine gun today. You know, like it's just like mind blowing the difference. If any one of you asks me about that, like I would know. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's not here. That that comment's not going to get made. Oh yeah. no, no, they do this to me every week. They do this to me. Hmm. Oh, what was it like when what you had to use a flintlock, like Gary? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that is just really a nice gun. And this is the only one you got in stock? Only one. That's the so only one I get a hold of. Anybody wants this, uh, they got to get down to Powderhorn Guns and Archery and uh, do it. Uh, be there when they open. Yeah. Go today, yeah. take your bow, and buy this gun. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're restringing. You're buying. That is so neat. Yeah. That's really wow. cool. And if, you know, if that was a factory original from way back in the day, it would be a, a non-shootable, for the most part, right. collector's piece. Right. As as a re-engineered, remanufactured um, replica, so cool. it's fully functional. It looks exactly like the original, but you can actually take this out and, and you know, enjoy I, it. And I wouldn't be afraid to shoot it. Uh, no. Absolutely no. not. It's perfectly, perfectly well suited for even today's high pressure cartridges. It is for modern it, ammunition. You're good mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. That is neat. All right, what was you just had a shotgun or something strapped across your lap? <laughs> well, yeah, it's this is a. Uh, this is a Benelli 828U, and which would be a, a sporting shotgun or an upland field gun. Um, upland field season isn't right around the corner, but it is coming up in the fall. But what we do have is all of your competitive shotgun sports. Mm-hmm. Those are, are right around the corner with this early spring we're having. Now's the time to get out and shoot. So we wanted to feature this uh, beautiful shotgun over and under made by uh, Benelli. And it is a little bit different than most over-unders. Most over-unders, when, when you move the, the lever to open it up and the barrel breaks over, that operates a whole bunch of springs that make the, make the gun function. So there's resistance for the barrel to drop because it's cocking all of those springs. This particular one by Benelli, they're the only ones that do it, all of that spring action is on your thumb. And your thumb is pretty strong, it's right here, so you push that lever, all of the spring operation is done. Oh. So, so the know, resistance the for the resistance barrel. for the barrel is gone. Oh, So wow. it's absolutely consistent every single time. And why does that make a difference? Well, if you only shoot one of the barrels, then when you open it up, it has, on a, on a Browning Satori, it has less resistance because there's one less spring to cock. Oh. Whereas this one, it all happens with your thumb operation, so it's perfectly consistent every time which includes your ejector springs and all of those things. So very, very neat shotgun. They are pricey. Uh, for that price, you're getting a, an awful lot of stuff. You get full adjustability in the comb. They have a recoil management system built into the stock, really good recoil pad. This this shotgun is a joy to shoot on any range. Or is that furniture? Is that real wood? Yes. Yep, sure is. It's wood, and it's this rubber part is kind of inlaid into the top where your cheek weld would be. Um, you know, you Keeps shoot from beating three up or four shots, you're not going to notice that. You shoot three or four cases in an afternoon, and you're really, really glad yeah. that that's there. I, I I need to go out to Prairie Grove. I yeah. I am just not good with skeet or, or, or clay pigeons. It, it just the older model that I used to shoot ski oh, that's every not week. as heavy as I thought it was going to be. No, no, they're a lot lighter than the uh, than the old ones. The Benelli over unders when I used to shoot skeet every week. I, it's not me. It was the gun. Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, we, we so joke about fantastic. that, but it, it does make. Oh, a it makes difference. a huge difference. It, it really does. I, the, I felt like I couldn't miss with those. Like it was just so easy. 
and the operation, and they're just gorgeous guns. That is a beautiful, beautiful firearm. All right, so how do I bring it back up? Just, just close it with your up. hand. Yeah, just yeah, literally. Oh, all right. Just like yeah. that. And the, and the nice thing about that is it has that carbon fiber vent rib, so it's a free-floated. So it's not like a normal sh- shotgun where it's uh, hard steel all the way up. So when you start shooting, most barrels, once they get hot, kind of start to want to creep up on you and you lose your shot. That doesn't because it holds it in place. It, oh, wow. it keeps it from creeping up on it. It is really it, nice. it, the engra- the carving is yeah. just it is beautiful. Yeah, nickel engravings beautiful. On that it. is just beautiful. But if you're if you're if you want to be fantastic at shooting skeet, that's your gun. Oh, like yeah. it is these are so fantastic. Oh man. I thought when you handed it to me, I thought that was gonna be really, really heavy mm-hmm. and it was like, oh. And that's why that recoil uh, system is so important because you shoot you know four rounds of skeet in an afternoon in a lightweight gun it's easy to it's easy to swing because it's lightweight it's it going to swing up. fast uh, that recoil will get to you recoil management system helps a lot well I um, I want to talk about the the other firearms that you brought in but I I can't right now I've got to take a quick commercial break <laughs> no worries uh, because uh, my producer insists that her paycheck not bounce <laughs> and we have to play the commercials gotta pay oh, the bills and yeah. as an advertiser I do yeah. appreciate that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gotta pay the bills Potterhorn Guns and Archery is in uh, the studio and so is the belt boy the superbelt.com we're up against the clock quick break and we will be back on Gary on Guns <laughs> you bet you're welcome glad to have you with us it is uh, 20 minutes after 9 o'clock, and uh, Powderhorn Guns and Heart and Archery. Archery? Archery. archery. Well, the hell is That's archery? what you're shooting for. I just made up, uh, <laughs> He's made up a word. You made up a word. Uh, but don't use it because it won't work. Powderhorn <laughs> Guns and Archery are on board with us. We've got show and tell. We've got a couple more firearms. We've got the superbelt.com, uh, which is uh, a, great, uh, a great way to uh, uh, conceal carry without having your belt stretch, snap, <laughs> curl, whatever. And stink from trash. That's right. Because yeah, right. he's, he's also cleaning garbage cans. Yep. And then didn't shower and came into the studio. <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know. Yeah, like, Febreze isn't working. You know. <laughs> working in youth ministry, we have the phrase, Axe body spray does not a shower make. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, now now you're, is that is that one all metal? Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. It is the Smith & Wesson CSX and 9mm. It's more of a smaller micro gun. It's kind of... Good for concealed carry. Oh, yeah. Perfect yeah. concealed carry oh, yeah. gun. It's uh, kind of on the same lines as the SIG p 938 Yeah. About the same, same aspect of it. Uh, it still has like 1911 style fire control-ish stuff to it. So, I mean, it's a really nice pistol. Holds 12 rounds, whereas I think the 938's only held like maybe... Eight, if I can remember right, so it's a little bit more more uh, capacity, but still about the same size of a gun. Uh, still fun to shoot. It has a safety on the trigger, plus it's actually got a thumb safety and a hammer. So you have to keep this one cocked and locked. So if you don't, it, it's really not worth nothing. It's it's not a, a double action. It's just a straight single action gun. Uh, they're a blast to shoot. This one's brand new. It comes with a nice, cool little ammo range pack that comes with it and plus two magazines nice what's the price point on that one uh, it's, it's a 542 in change it that's is a metal. great that's it a great nice. size little gun yeah 
I really like the, the expanded capacity of that. Yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, like a car size, mm -hmm. uh, very, very concealable, right. super slim. And uh, the car is limited by capacity, whereas mm -hmm. that's got uh, 12 plus 1. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a, that's a substantial improvement. That's more than our full-size 1911s, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, and the sights are, are, you know, kind of bright and easy to catch. Mm -hmm. Those are nice. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I really like that. And it's an all-metal gun, too. Yeah, all-metal. Yeah. Wow. Alloy frame, interchangeable polymer backstrap grips for it. So, I mean, they kind of integrated the, the M&P backstraps to it, too. That feels... Uh, the trigger's actually really nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. In Gary's hand, it almost disappears. In my <laughs> hand, it looks like a full-size gun. So... Well, that's <laughs> personal problems. Yeah, personal yeah. Problems. That's a great that size. That trigger feels nice. It really does. That's really that cool. What a great little concealed carry that is. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. You got one more semi-auto over there, oh, don't yeah. you? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's going to be the Smith & Wesson M&P 22 Magnum. So where Smith & Wesson last year came out with the 5.7, which you love and, oh, and adore, uh, they decided to take another step for, or backwards but forward at the same time and came out with the same kind of gun but in a 22 mag. And it holds 30 rounds in the, in the magazine. So that's a lot of rounds to carry around with you. But... A twenty two mag is still a very volatile round and will do just about anything you, you need it to. Uh, it's also gas-operated, so it, it less recoiled, just like the 5.7 was. I think a lot of people uh, think that uh, the twenty two is not an effective self-defense weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it can be. And 100%. If shot right, yeah. And shot placement is always a, a, a must in my world, I think. But... <laughs> Uh, All ammunition is worthless if you miss the targets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that that takes us to a really good point. You should carry what you're able to shoot well. Yeah, mm -hmm. and a lot of people cannot shoot a forty-five well. It's right, too yeah. much recoil. It's too much boom. Yep. Uh, it's just too intimidating for a lot of shooters. Yep. Whereas a twenty-two mag, yep. uh, a lot quieter, a lot less recoil, almost no recoil. Yeah, it's not hard to chamber either. No, it's it racks super easy, easy yeah. to rack. So I mean, if somebody's looking for something to carry on their side. And while they're out in the wilderness, but are kind of, I'm not going to say scared, but recoil sensitive, that this, is going to be it the It does gun. have a very similar trigger pull yes. to the... Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, and I know I we, we went shooting, there were two girls in our youth group that wanted to shoot some firearms, so we, we took them out, their grandpa went with me, and they did not like my 45 1911, they were okay with the 9mm, but the 22 that they shot, they loved, loved it. it. We just spent mag after mag after mag through that gun, and so, especially if you've got younger shooters, you know, ladies, stuff like that, these are fantastic firearms for introductions and, and giving them something that they can be very, very comfortable with. And it's got a rail, so yeah. that you can, uh, you can mount... Uh, it's not heavy at all. No. It's, it's, no. It, it's easy to rack. But it still looks really cool. It still looks like a very tactical firearm. And think about the capacity. 30 yeah. plus 1. So <laughs> yeah. That's a box and a half of 9mm. <laughs> and you know, it's... It, in the it, magazine at one time. Oh, my God. And it's still cheap to shoot. Yeah. I think a box of 50 is only like 17 bucks. Nice. So, I mean, it's not like if you want to go out and shoot it, you're, you're spinning yeah. an arm and Every a time I pull the trigger it, on my 45, I wince a little bit, you know? Yeah, $1.50, $1.50, $1.50, $1.50. Okay, we're done here. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a really cool gun. Being rimfire, a, a setback to rimfire is the fact that the, the rim is so much bigger than the case diameter. So, making a high-capacity magazine for one is challenging and it's really neat how they've overcome that when you pull that mag out it's triangle shaped to allow for that that 
head of the case to be bigger than the barrel of the case. Interesting. Isn't that neat? That is very impressive. You can put a red dot on top of it. You yeah. can it's get Picatinny rail, full length Picatinny rail underneath it to where you can put a light underneath it too. So you can go all out, straight John Wicket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and if you, and whatever you practice with the 22, then you can level up. So, like, if you yeah. practice with this firearm and you want to carry a heavier caliber, yeah. this you're shooting for pennies. Yeah. Pennies, yeah. and you're, you're, you've got the same draw motion, mm-hmm. you've got the same safety motion, everything is identical, and then your carry gun could be a bigger bigger caliber if you want to. Yeah. You go straight good. to a full-size M&P, yeah. a 9mm, and, you know, it's not going to be much different. The grip angle or the grip size might be a hair right. bigger on that. Just because they had to elongate it for the the twenty two mag, sure. but yeah, that is a very neat part. <laughs> Thirty round capacity. That's, That's so cool. cool. If you run that's out so of ammo, you're in. Yeah, trouble. you've done something very wrong. If you run out of ammo with this, it'd gun. be great for somebody that's hiking. You know, you get near you know uh, snakes or snakes, something like that. Yeah, yeah it, it it'd be great for. They that even make thing. a don't they make a shotgun round in a twenty two? Do they still do that? Yeah, they, they for just the regular twenty twos. Yeah. make the shot. So if you're worried about it, snakes, yeah. stuff like that, yeah. that'd be great. But don't run it in the semi auto. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Not semi-auto. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't run those in a semi-auto. Oh, okay. Okay. My father was uh, uh, having a discussion with a, a co-worker who, who was, you know, allegedly a, a great shot. <laughs> and he got those 22 uh, shotgun shells or shot, uh, shotgun rounds. And what he did, well, my father, uh, notorious for uh, uh, finding uh, cheap ways to win, alternated regular round and a shot. Bird shot. Yeah. Alternate. And then they had light bulbs, and they had the contest. <laughs> Dad won. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Did he ever? Did he ever get curious when three of them shattered at once? Or? <laughs> I don't have a clue what you're talking. About. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I curved dead. that bullet. <laughs> Dad was a good shot. But yeah. he wasn't that good. Uh, but amazing. apparently, the bird shot made the. Made the difference. Made the difference. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. They should never have let him load the weapon. I'm telling you right now. May the odds forever be in your favor. That's right. All right. Oh, uh, man. We've got uh, some terrific firearms here. They're uh, available uh, at Powderhorn Guns and Archery. And uh, you'll want to head over there right away if you want that revolver because that is just that thing's cool. drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, that thing is beautiful. They really are very, very cool. Yeah. It's a very cool piece of And history. rare. Hard to find. Very yeah. hard to get. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So. Uh, you'll want to do that. In the meantime, uh, coming up in the next segment, Dave Rowland. He is a constitutional attorney, uh, MoFreedom.org. He's the guy you go to when you want to, you know, when the government is uh, taking your liberty. He goes to court and uh, really does a terrific job. He helped write the Second Amendment Preservation Act. And I have looked at it. I've talked to experts. I, I cannot understand what it is that make law enforcement so unhappy about the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Far as I can tell, it allows them to work with the FBI. They can send the round in, see if it's been used uh, in another crime. They can do all those things. The only thing this really does, in essence, as far as I can tell, is it tells the government in the state of Missouri, federal firearms laws are no longer your milieu. You can't turn people in. You can't arrest them for them. It's totally up to the federal government to come and enforce their own laws. State laws, which reflect, in many cases, the federal laws, you can enforce. Uh, So I don't see the problem here. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's great. Well, we're going to find out what happened on the appeal, and we'll do that next on Gary on Guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. It is uh, 935, and uh, we got Powderhorn Guns and Archery. 
And uh, the super belt, the guy who's now washing garbage cans. <laughs> super belt trash boy. Without, yes. Yeah, super belt trash boy. Yeah. There we go. Got uh, you, you know, it's strange how you make a living. I, you're, Listen, you're, man, so I got four kids to pay for. I, I got to hustle, man. I got to hustle. So he doesn't need to go to Israel and get that. That's right. No. Okay. No, he's good. <laughs> All right. Second Amendment Preservation Act. Uh, I was uh, baffled by the challenge to it. Um, but Dave Rowland, who helped to, to craft this, uh, is a brilliant attorney. He's on my show every Thursday. It's Think Tank Thursday. Now, this is a guy that likes to fight the government when they trample your rights. And uh, he apparently uh, had an appeal uh, with this uh, Second Amendment Preservation Act. Uh, he's fighting to protect it. And uh, they had a hearing. Was it, Dave, on Friday they had the hearing? Yeah, it was Friday morning. Friday morning. And you guys were not actually in the courtroom? No, it was a, uh, a hearing by video conference, which was super unusual. They had originally scheduled the case to be argued in the courtroom the week before. And then about 48 hours before the argument was supposed to happen, the court notified everybody that they were pulling it off the calendar. There was no explanation given as to why. Um, they just said, yeah, we're, we're going to pull this off. We'll let you know when we're ready to have the argument. And then uh, several days later, kind of out of the blue, they said, okay, we're now having the argument this Friday, 10 a.m., and we're going to do it by video conference. No one's allowed in the courtroom. So um, hmm. that, was, that was a real problem in terms of um, being able to understand everything that was going on. The connection was not really good. The audio connection was not. Uh, and so for some of the listeners, it was really difficult to understand uh, what was being argued and what was being said. But, but I was able to, um, to kind of listen to the whole thing and uh, ready to kind of fill people in on where we think this might be going. Now, did you file a brief on this yes. appeal? And did they take it up? Did they talk about it? They did, yes. So um, just so people understand kind of the, the background to this, the Second Amendment Preservation Act uh, does a couple of different things. The first is the legislature laid out kind of its understanding of the principles of federalism. So it spends um, one section of the law focusing on Here's the, the balance that was intended to be struck between the federal government and the state governments. And then it says, to the extent that the federal government has tried to adopt gun laws that regulate firearms in certain ways in the states, they've overstepped their authority. And the state does not recognize their authority to enforce these gun laws. It then says... The state and local law enforcement agencies over which the state legislature has control, they are required to defend citizens' rights to keep and bear arms as reflected in Missouri's constitutional protection for the right to keep and bear arms. That's Article 1, Section 27 of the Missouri Constitution, or Section 23, sorry, of the Missouri Constitution. And then it adds operative sections. These are the sections that actually do the work of the Second Amendment Preservation Act, and they do not restrict the federal government in any way. That's crucial, because we have in the federal Constitution a supremacy clause that says, basically, as long as Congress has the authority to pass a law, 
Um, it doesn't matter what states or state constitutions say to the contrary, the federal government gets to do it. And so I told them when they were drafting this, we cannot restrict a federal official from enforcing federal law or else this is definitely going to be considered unconstitutional. But what we can do is tell state and local law enforcement agencies that they don't have any authority to enforce federal law. So we can control our officials. We cannot control federal officials. And that's what SAPA says. It says we are withdrawing any authority from state and local law enforcement agencies and officers to assist in the enforcement of federal firearm laws unless there is a Missouri law that is the equivalent of the federal law being enforced. And there are penalties that follow along if this gets violated. So then they, they enforce the Missouri law. That's correct. And they're allowed to accept federal assistance in enforcing Missouri laws. So for, for people that are complaining, oh, this means we can't cooperate with the federal government, it means that we can't use federal resources. No, that's not correct. If the federal government would like to help in an investigation uh, of Missouri firearm violations, they're absolutely allowed to help. Nothing prevents that at all. But if we're talking about enforcing federal firearms laws for which there is no Missouri analog, then that's what's not permitted. And there are consequences. So if I'm a local law enforcement officer and I'm finding somebody with a fully automatic weapon uh, out on the street, which is against Missouri law, uh, and I call the the FBI or BATF or whomever and say, I I want your help in, in prosecuting this in the state of Missouri, doesn't that doesn't that send a message to the federal government that they can do their own investigation and come after? Yes. Yeah. And, and if they want to use their own resources to do that, that's fine. And, and, and the SAPA would not prevent a federal agency from conducting its own investigation and enforcing federal laws. So, and there's, there's not a problem with state officials notifying federal authorities about a potential violation as long as there is this Missouri parallel to the federal law. So this doesn't do anything except if you, for instance, have a firearm with a bump stock. Uh, We don't have a law against it in Missouri. So uh, unless the feds catch you with one, no harm, no foul. Right, exactly. Exactly. So the, the Biden administration was really upset about um, about SEPA being a passed. And so they sued, arguing that it violates the, the supremacy clause. Well, as I pointed out, what the supremacy clause actually forbids is um, a, a conflict between state law and federal law and as long as we understand that federal law doesn't actually require the states to cooperate in the assistance of federal law, which, by the way, would be a violation of the Tenth Amendment to require states to assist in the enforcement of federal law, then there's no supremacy clause violation. Can I ask uh, you? But that I, was the argument that they made. All right, let me jump in with uh, one more question here. Sure. Uh, who heard this appeal? 
So this was the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. There are 12 judges on the Eighth Circuit. Uh, but the first time you go up to the Court of Appeals, you get a three-judge panel. So one quarter of the total court hears the case, and they issue a ruling. We had Judge Loken and Judge Colleton, who are both Republican appointees. And then we had Judge Kelly, who is the one Democrat appointee on the Eighth Circuit. Uh, that was our panel. Now, the party of the president who appointed a judge is not always an accurate indicator of kind of how a judge is going to lean on a given case, but sometimes it is. And so um, I wasn't super excited to have Judge Kelly on the case uh, because with, with her background, perhaps uh, she might be more inclined to lean towards the federal government. And I really wasn't sure about Loken and Colleton. Um, I have had several cases in front of both of those judges. Judge Colleton uh, pretty much every time has gone the wrong way on cases, constitutional cases that I've had in front of him. And so I didn't know what to make of him. Judge Loken occasionally has been better in terms of constitutional protections for individual liberty, but he has also gone the wrong way on a couple of these cases. Um, so I was really keen to hear what questions they were asking to see if it, it indicated how they were leaning. And we got some indications. All right. Well, hang and, on. Hang on. Oh, sure. I'm up against the clock. Got to take a quick break, but I do want to hear what the questions were and what implications you were able to make based on those questions. Dave Roland, our guest on Gary on Gun. It is 949. Glad to have you with us. Powderhorn Guns and Archery with us. They brought in some firearms. We'll go over that before we run out of time. Uh, and then we've got uh, Belt Boy here, the superbelt.com. Dave Rowland is with us. He's the guy that loves to sue the government to protect your freedom. We're talking about the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Uh, and I assume that if this goes, uh, no, matter which way, no matter which way this goes, I'm sure uh, they'll, they'll want to appeal this uh, on bunk, uh, bringing in all the judges. But uh, based on the questions heard in defending the Second Amendment Preservation Act, did you come away with a feeling like, you're going to win this thing, or was it pretty ambiguous? What, what did you hear? It was ambiguous. I think it's going to be close. Um, so the very slight more likely outcome, I think, is the court will say that uh, the federal government did not have a proper basis for bringing the lawsuit in the first place. So that would be a technical ruling. Um, it would not get to the substance, the constitutional meat of the case. Um, I think that is probably about a 45% likelihood of the outcome. Maybe a 35 to 40% likelihood would be uh, a split decision with Loken and Kelly saying the federal government wins here. Um, if that happens and if it's a split decision the way that I think it will be, or would be, uh, then I think that there's a very reasonable chance this gets an en banc hearing at the Eighth Circuit. That means all 12 judges would rehear the case and vote on it. Um, and either way, I think that a U.S. government win would set up a better than average chance of the U.S. Supreme Court weighing in. It's not a slam dunk uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court would take this case, but um, if you've got an, a split panel and or a uh, en banc hearing 
on the case, I think that that raises the stakes and makes it slightly more likely that the U.S. Supreme Court will weigh in. So um, it, I think it's going to be close. And the we'll difference? find out in about six uh, six weeks to six months. What was the difference between uh, what we're uh, what the Second Amendment preservation is asking and uh, the uh, marijuana laws are asking? What was what's the difference? The the sole difference, and the U.S. government kind of acknowledged this, is the legislature's specific statement that they thought Congress had acted outside of its constitutional authority. Now, the Missouri Supreme Court has already said that. This is just a statement of principle. It's not uh, an enforceable provision of the law. Um, but Judge Loken kind of said he disagreed with the Missouri Supreme Court. He said that he thought that by specifically saying that they thought these federal laws were unconstitutional, that that injured the United States and potentially violated the Supremacy Clause. I strongly disagree with Judge Loken on that, uh, but but he's the one sitting on the panel, not me. So, um, again, I think the most likely outcome is a technical loss for the U.S. government because they didn't really have – they didn't identify um, a valid basis for bringing the lawsuit in the first place. In other words, when you file a suit in federal court, you typically have to identify what law gives you the authority to bring the case. And standing. they didn't so much do that. that like, not, not not quite standing. It's it's a little bit different from standing. It's more it's a jurisdictional issue. Um, standing usually has to do with have you shown actual harm, and that is also an issue in this case. Judge Loken thinks that uh, merely saying, "Hey, we think Congress acted unconstitutionally," he thinks that is sufficient harm to confer standing. So I don't think that the case is going to be resolved on standing, but it may well be resolved on jurisdiction. Um, so again, it's not at all clear um, where you're going to get two of the three judges to agree on the outcome. And and so that's going to be the question. Um, could have a decision as soon as six weeks from now. In all likelihood, it's probably going to be closer to six months or so. And in theory, it could even go longer than that, but I don't think it will. So we'll, we'll be keeping our eyes open for this for this decision. Okay, and if it if they decide in favor of the state, does the the law automatically go into effect until uh, somebody else throws a monkey wrench at it, or what? Uh, in likelihood, what would happen is the U.S. government would ask the U.S. Supreme Court to stay the Eighth Circuit opinion, um, and then that'll be up to the U.S. Supreme Court whether they do or not. They probably would not, um, and then the U.S. government would ask either for en banc review or for the U.S. Supreme Court to take the case. And if it's resolved on those technical grounds, I do not think that there's likely to be en banc review or a U.S. Supreme Court review of the case. Okay, more questions. I have a quick question. Um, the fact that this particular hearing was held virtual, you, you yeah. kind of alluded that that was uh, disadvantageous. Do you think that was purposeful uh, to, to opt to go that way versus uh, an in-person court? I don't have enough information to say that. <laughs> it's very odd. It's very unusual. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, if it had been only this case that got the treatment, I would have more concerns than I have. But I went and I looked, and there was at least one other case with this same panel that got postponed. Um, that case has not yet been set for argument again. Um, and so... 
that at least raises the possibility that it wasn't something they were doing just because of this case. Um, so I wasn't happy about it. I still think it's a little questionable, but the fact that another case appears to have been treated the same way suggests that maybe there wasn't any ill intent. All right. Uh, go ahead. One, one more question for you. Uh, I was just kind of thinking overall for those of us that aren't as deeply ensconced in the law as you are, what are basically the effects that we should be paying attention to as just your average citizen? What, you know, is it waiting for certain things to come into effect or what is it really that with this appeal and what the federal government has done, how does that affect us as a data? All, the, all of our listeners, how does that affect us with what either outcome? So right now, uh, because of the way the first federal district court ruled on this, the effect of the law has been stayed. So basically, everything in Missouri is the way that it was before SAPA got passed in the first place. So this, that status quo continues to hold, and it will hold unless and until um, the courts reverse the district court decision. And so what we'll, what we'll be looking for is if we get a decision in favor of the state of Missouri, um, will either the, the Eighth Circuit en banc or the Supreme Court stay that opinion, in other words, continuing to maintain the status quo, or will they let SAPA go into effect? So that's what we'll be looking for. All right. Uh, will you uh, be able to do a, a, a longer segment on Thursday? Absolutely. All right. Dave Rowland, thank you for being with us. My pleasure. All right. Uh, MoFreedom.org. Potterhorn Guns and Archery, in the closing minute here, let's uh, go over the firearms you brought in the studio. What did you bring? I brought the uh, Huberti uh, Harden 1875, the Smith & Wesson MP Magnum 22, uh, the Smith, Smith & Wesson uh, uh, CSX in 9mm, and a 828 Benelli U. So if you're interested in any of those, and that revolver is just something special. Uh, if you're interested in any of those firearms, you got to head over to Potterhorn Guns and Archery because that's where they're going to be in a few minutes from now. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, very quickly, before I uh, wrap up, one more question is ammo. Uh, I'm getting uh, questions about it. Uh, is there any more problem? Is it all solved? Are we caught up? For Mostly now? all solved except for 410, but most <laughs> everything else... <laughs> is obtainable. All right. We got to run whatever it is in life that you want. Go out and get it. No wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem and Gwen, baby, honey, I'm coming home.